0: We have a little bit of baseball fever in town these days in Cleveland, huh? Anybody, any fans out there? Uh, In fact, if you're a Cleveland sports nut like I am, this is sort of an exciting season for us with three fairly young teams, in fact, Guardians, youngest team in all of Major League Baseball, younger than a number of AAA teams, average age, and to see them just, it's a fun time. So my brother and I were talking uh, and... We loved doing sports together growing up. He knows I still like softball and, and playing it. And so he asked me, he said, hey, Jonathan, he said, if you were facing major league pitching and you're up there to bat, how many times do you think you'd make contact as a hitter? I said, do you mean just make contact or do you mean get a hit? He goes, no, either, either way, just, you know, make, make contact. And I sort of, thought well, how, how much would you say? What would you think? I said, well, maybe, I don't know, three times. I could tell if he was a betting person, he would definitely bet on the pitchers rather than his brother. And because to face a 101 mile an hour fastball from Emmanuel Classe or a 95 mile an hour slider and to try to hit that ball and get it would be difficult, challenging. But would it be impossible? There, there's, there's sort of a gap between improbable and difficult and absolutely impossible, right? And and it sort of leads me to a scripture today that as we're launching this new series that there's something that God tells us through the author of the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11. And the author there says this. He says, for it is difficult to please God. Now what does he say? It's challenging. He says, it is what? Impossible to please God without What? without faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. What he's saying is this, you simply cannot please God unless you have faith. There's some kind of faith in God. It doesn't take a lot. It's not just challenging or difficult to please God. It's absolutely impossible to please God without faith. Zero out of a hundred. You're never going to do it. Unless you have faith. So our goal in this series is to build our faith. So would you look at someone nearby you and say, let's build our faith stronger this month. Would you tell them that? Let's build our faith stronger this month. That's what we want to see happen and and to say, God, we really want to please you. I think even the fact that you're here today, you're saying, there's something in my heart that I I want to please God. And to do that, he says, you need to have a sense of faith that's growing. But at times, it's hard, isn't it? It's really hard. There's all kinds of things that happen. Mary and I have a friend who uh, had a third interview for a job this past week and thought, this looks really promising. This is the job I want and they gave it to the other person. We know someone else who's going to be in a courtroom this week with their child, their adult child, and it's, they're not on the right side of the equation. There's someone else who's got a big house issue going on that's going to cost a lot of money, that not really improve the value of their home, but just to keep the house functional. I read a letter this week from... Someone who recently lost her husband, and she writes, Up until recently, I've been happily married, very happily married. I'm now widowed. My husband died just a few weeks ago, and I'm devastated, me and my young son. I miss my husband more than I could have imagined and just want the life we had back. I can't seem to wrap my head around all of this. I struggle to find wisdom and comfort as to how I must approach my remaining years on earth. Here's the question. How do we build our faith? How do we keep our faith? in the midst of the challenges that, and disappointments that we face, things that especially when they're beyond our control. You know what the good news is? The good news is that when we maintain faith in those hard times, you, you actually please God. Like, you, you bring joy to the heart of God. But you might say, how do we do that? Like, If it's impossible to please God without faith, so I need to build my faith, but in some of the tough times in my life, it's really hard for me to trust God. How do do I do that? You know what's been helpful for me is to be inspired by the faith of people around me, people in our Grace family, people that I know throughout my life. And also, as we look at the Scriptures to say, to look at people throughout Biblical history that we go, wow, that person's life. If I could be like them, so I want to take us to one of my favorite characters in the first section of the Bible, the Old Testament, and 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 to sort of let's just do a sort of a, a fifty thousand foot view of this guy's life, and to see his life in like in twenty minutes, we'll summarize it, and then we're going to look at what can we glean from his life experience that he pleased God. How can we? Please God in the same way. So let's turn in your either paper, Bible, your phone to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis 37. want to just say while you're turning there, uh, to those of you, many of you in our uh, online community, uh, thank you for being with us today. Wherever you're engaging from, uh, we're glad to have you. Guys at Lorraine Correctional, today's message is going to be one that you can especially relate to, maybe more than a lot of, a lot of us, and so uh, this uh, just... Uh, I wish I could discuss this one with you. I want us to see this, the big picture of this person's life. What happens in the story of a young man named Joseph? He's a teenager when we first meet him. And you might be familiar with this journey, might be newer for you, but it's one of the most devastating yet fascinating journeys that you can imagine. It starts with a dysfunctional family, as so often happens, right? Right? And in fact, if you're from a family, you go, yeah, my family's sort of dysfunctional. In fact, you look my family up in the dictionary or did look up dysfunctional in the dictionary. You might see a picture of my family. Welcome to the club because when you read the book of Genesis, like every family in the book of Genesis is like dysfunctional. Like people are like turning on each other, killing each other. They're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And that's true with Joseph and his family. Let me give you a clue what not to do as a parent, okay? Okay. Genesis 37, verse 3. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children. Let's just pause right there and just say, that's a fail right there, right? He goes on. Because Joseph had been born to him at his old age, so one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. How do you think that went across with his siblings? You know, you're, you're walking around, some of you women with the Gucci bag, or guys, you've got some kind of like swag or whatever, and your siblings go, where'd you get that? And you go, Dad got that for me. They're like, Dad got that for you. Like I wonder who's going to give it to me. Oh yeah, he's, he's just for me. Yeah, yeah, just me. That that did not create great family dynamics, right? So Joseph's brothers is not a surprise. In the next verse, verse four, it says, they hated him because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. Jacob, when you favor one child over another, you're actually doing that child a disservice, right? Because they become a stench to their siblings. So one day, Joseph goes out to visit his brothers, and they've sort of had enough. Bitterness takes over, verse 19. They're like, here comes the dreamer. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, like a well. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Oh, I forgot to tell you, he had a dream, a dream, two dreams. Two dreams as a teenager, and he goes, hey, guys, I don't know, you know, I had these two dreams, and you're all going to bow down to me, like you're going to worship me, sort of, like, I don't know how else to say it. How do you think that went across? Yeah, about as well as that coat that his dad made for him, right? So they're like, we've had enough of these. You know, that's what we'll we'll put an end to these dreams. So instead of killing him, long story short, they sell him into slavery. He's 17 years old. He's taken to Egypt, a totally unfamiliar place, a language he doesn't know, doesn't know a soul. Ends up in the home of a guy named Potiphar, who's a high up government official, He's got a lot of money, a lot of influence, and and Joseph excels. He's doing really well until one day, uh, Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph again. And again, Joseph is like, I, I can't do this. Like, I, I can't, and this is a great perspective when you face temptation. He goes, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against, he doesn't just name his boss, he says against, against God, right? Like, I, I, can't, I can't do this. So Joseph runs, but she grabs a hold of his shirt. She uses that as proof to falsely accuse him and say, try to come into my bedroom and molest me. Joseph is the reward for his integrity. He's thrown into prison. He's falsely accused of assaulting her. And even then, you see Joseph sort of hanging on to God. It says in chapter 39, if you turn over uh, to that chapter there, 39 verse 2, it says the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. Down in verse 20. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him, like the Lord was just, there's this sense of the authors telling us God never abandoned him, even when it felt like maybe that was the case. And Joseph didn't let go of God, he kept his faith. One of the examples of that, chapter 40, verse six. Joseph's in prison, Look, look how he responds to other guys in prison. It says when Joseph came to his fellow prisoners the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him in his master's house, he says, "Why, why do you look so sad today?" He's thinking of others. One of the ways that you show that you're, there's a trust in God is that you're not just walking around with your head in the ground and pouting and whatever, but you're looking up and you're going, "God, how do you want to use me?" These guys look like they're going, "Hey, what's going on here?" And, well, they tell him about these dreams they have, and so Joseph interprets these dreams. And for one guy, it's good news. For the other guy, not so much. And for the guy for whom it's good news, Joseph tells him this. He goes, hey, you're going to be restored to your place of leadership in Pharaoh's palace. And when you are, I want you to remember me. You got that? You got it. I'll remember you. Because I'm here unjustly. Like I've been falsely accused, and, and I honestly do not deserve to be in here. So when you get out, you use your influence to. so the guy gets out of prison. And what does he do? He totally forgets about Joseph. And Joseph spends two more years in unjust confinement. So here's the story, his journey so far. Family brokenness, false accusations, shattered dreams. I mean, that's just, that's just some of the things that went wrong in his life. And yet, he continues to hold on to the Lord. There's something about this guy. He doesn't turn away. And two years later, Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful nation in the world at the time, has a dream, and no one can interpret the dream. And he goes, anybody can interpret this dream? And guess who remembers Joseph? Right, the guy he helped get out of prison. He goes, oh my, I totally failed this guy. This guy, told me to remember. And I, this guy Joseph, in prison. And so they call Joseph in. And chapter 41, verse 15, here's what happens. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Now here's where you see Joseph's faith on display again, verse 16. I can't do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God, God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And it happens. Joseph, with the Lord's help, interprets the dream. He predicts a bull market that's going to be followed by a bear market. Seven years of, of overwhelming like prosperity economically for the nation and the seven years of absolute Economic ruin. And Joseph says, So here's what I would do. In these seven years, you want to just build up all your storehouses, you know, get the cellar of your na- of nation full, and then for the seven years, you'll be prepared. Pharaoh's so impressed. Look what happens. Chapter 41, verses 38 and following. Pharaoh asked his fellow officials, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. What a story. This is a fascinating story. Yesterday, stuck in prison. Today, like 24 hours later, he's second in command of the nation. It's been 13 years since he was sold as a slave. He's 17 then, he's, today he's 30 years old. It's a new chapter, right? That God is leading him on this journey and, and taking him to a new chapter of what God wants to do in his life. Now Joseph's in a place where he has no idea if his family's still alive. So seven more years go by, Joseph is 37, years of plenty, Just like the Lord said it would happen to Pharaoh in his dream. Things are great. And then seven years later, precisely, famine hits. There's like natural disasters, and people are desperate. They come from all over in droves, all over the country of Egypt and even beyond. And that's how this unlikely family reunion happens. Ten brothers show up. Who are they? Joseph's brothers, but it's been 20-plus years, and they don't even know who he is. He was 17, now he's probably 38, 39. And he's dressed like an Egyptian. He's speaking the Egyptian language. Wish we had time to look at the whole story, but long story short, after a ton of tense negotiations and drama, months later, Joseph invites them to dinner at Pharaoh's palace. And when they come for dinner, they bring gifts. And each one of the 10 ends up doing what? bow down before this, this brother. His dreams are fulfilled, right? Joseph is overwhelmed. They still don't know who he is. And there over dinner that night, Joseph, if you turn over to chapter 45, verse 4, he says, I am your what? Your brother. Your brother. How, how, how's dad doing? And they're, they're so absolutely shocked they're terrified that it says they couldn't even speak a word and joseph says guys come here come here you sold me as a slave like 22 years ago what you did you know god was behind it god sent me ahead of you to protect our family our family who's going to produce the messiah one day We're just like 70 people. We we wouldn't have survived the famine had it not been for God bringing me here. God sent me ahead of you to preserve your lives and really to preserve and for a Messiah to one day come. He saved us. Now go home and get dad. I want you to come back. Bring the family. There's going to be plenty of food. There's going to be land for you to take care of your animals. And it's this amazing reunion. And Joseph doesn't kill them or put them in slavery. He gives them some of the best place in the land. Years later, Joseph's perspective hadn't changed. His faith hadn't changed. In fact, if you look over at the last chapter of of Genesis, Genesis chapter 50, you've sort of got an overview of of 25% of the book of Genesis, Genesis 37 to 50. And we're in the last chapter here, and, and Jacob, the dad, has now died. After blessing his sons and everything, in verse 20, Joseph's brothers now, they're terrified. They think, okay, dad is gone. Now now he's going to let us have it. And, And listen to what Joseph says in verse 20. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for what? For good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. That's how the book of Genesis ends. That's Joseph's life in summary, his faith on display. You might go, my story is not like that. But friends, don't we all deal with losses of some kind? That you have a family situation, you go, it it is like so complicated, my marriage or relationship with kids or my siblings or my parents, and I don't, you know. Maybe there's been betrayal. You've had disappointment. You've had to make a move that you never wanted to make. Maybe there's something so deep, the kind of loss you've had, you go, it's hard for me to even talk about it. Like, it's just, it is so painful. Like, I don't even know that like, you're talking about trusting God. I don't even know how I can trust God with what I've endured, what I'm going through, what I've lost. So what do we learn from Joseph's life? If it's impossible to please God without faith, how, how, do, we, how do we build our faith? In you're following your notes on the back side. So I've just listed some Some of the key lessons we can learn from Joseph for starts this, your current context and circumstances are not mistakes. Friends, listen. God is not surprised with where you are today. I want you to think of something in your life right now where you go, this is something that I wish I could change, but it feels like it's beyond my control like it's it's something with someone you care about or you you know whatever it's situation you go I, I would change it if I could i can i I, I feel helpless. What situation would that be i i 've got a few in my life, I guarantee you. Can we look at that and say, God, that is no mistake in your big plan. You know all that i 'm going through you 're not anxious right now you 're not going. Oh my goodness, how am I gonna get Jonathan out of this? How am I gonna get these? How am I gonna rescue Joseph? You see, Joseph had this new identity. It's an identity that any follower of Jesus can have. Friends, when we really grasp this, it it changes things, and it's this: you're sent. You're sent, I'm sent. Would you just say, I'm sent with me? You ready? I'm sent. You go, what do you mean by that? That Joseph recognized that every place on the journey. He was able to say i don't maybe like this i i don't i don't appreciate this but i know that god is with me and and i'm going to hold on to faith that right in the middle of this situation that god is so powerful so gracious so capable that he can use any and every circumstance every context to do good in my life that's what joseph would tell us that you've been sent by the lord You've been sent by the Lord to the neighborhood in which you live right now. You've been sent by the Lord into that doctor's waiting room that you hate visiting. You've been sent by the Lord into your classroom. You've been sent by the Lord into your workplace. Wherever you are, your fitness place, what, that, that you are not there by mistake. If your plane is delayed, if this happens, that God is, God has not forgotten you. Do you believe that? I'm sent. You're sent. You're sent to a place. You're a mission with him. Those of you guys, you're Lorraine Correctional. You've been sent to Lorraine Correctional. You might go, yeah, maybe because of some things in my life. Maybe I was unjustly. But you're there, right? You're you're there, and God has a purpose. He's not not taking you on a hiatus to say, when you get out, then I'll start to use your life. He's going to use you right where you are today, if you'll allow him. Joseph was overwhelmed by this. He keeps on repeating it. Genesis chapter 45. Look, you'll see this on the screen. He says, it was to save lives that God sent me. A little bit later, God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant. A little bit later, so then it was not you who sent me here, but God. So here's what I want. Can you in faith say today, God, I am willing to believe that you have sent me to my current circumstances, and you have a plan. You've not forgotten me. You might even just whisper in your, in, your, in your heart right now, God, I believe you've sent me. Where I am today is not a mistake in your economy. Here's what we know for sure. Wrongs and wounds can't stop God. You might go, are you saying he caused the pain? No. God is not the author of sin, but God can take even the sins of other people even our own, and weave things together to accomplish his purposes. It's not just in Joseph's life. When we continue reading, there's another place in Israel's history, he just does it over and over again where the people of God have miserably failed. Again, they're taken into captivity, they're facing the consequences for their behavior. In the middle of that, God makes a declaration to them that has become one of the five most popular framed things that maybe some of you have inside your house today. Or you've seen it, if you don't have it. And it's God speaking to his people, and he says this through the prophet Jeremiah. The Lord says, for I know the what? The plans. God has plans for you, even in your failures. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. What he's saying is this, no matter what, God is always bigger. He can take the evil actions of others, their misbehavior, their injustice, to accomplish through dysfunction of a family, through shattered dreams, through false accusations, through losses, through slams against our integrity. He can take all of that and weave them together to accomplish His plans, to make an impact not only for you, but ultimately. You know what the purpose of Joseph's life was? God doesn't just do stuff to bless me so I go, God, you've blessed me. Just keep on, you know, like just keep. He always blesses me so that I can do what? I can bless other people. It's true for Joseph. It's true for us. It's a point of the story that God is writing. Remember how Joseph puts it in Genesis chapter 50? He says in verse 20, he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done. The what? The saving of many lives. We're going to talk more in the coming weeks about what that looks like. What does it look like for God to use you and to use me as people who are sent to help bless the people around us? But it starts with this, believing that wherever you are today, you're sent. You're sent. You've been sent into your family, even though maybe you wish you are part of a different one. Just don't tell the people around you here. You've been sent to your job, even if you've been applying for a different one. For this moment, you've been been sent. You've been sent to, even if you didn't get into the university you wanted, you've you've been sent to where you are today. God makes no mistakes. In fact, Jesus tells his followers in John chapter 20, he says this, Jesus says, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so I am what? Sending you. I'm sending you. You know what else? By identifying yourselves as sent people, we're, we're walking the way of Jesus. 38 times in John's gospel alone, 38 times Jesus talks about the one who sent me, the one who sent me, the one who sent me. He just Jesus knew he was sent. I'm sent. You're sent. We're all sent if we're his followers. One example of that, John chapter 8, he says, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. May that be you and me too, that we can say the one who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone. And I want to do always what pleases him. Friends, just as Jesus was empowered by the Spirit to follow the will of the Father, it can happen for you and for me. We go, God, would you empower me, the same Spirit that, that filled your life, that brought you back from the dead, Lord, fill me with your Spirit so that I can be empowered to do your will and be on mission with you, that my life can bless the people around me you might go, I, I just I don't feel like I can do it. Like God certainly has people around me who are more equipped and capable and all the rest. I just feel inadequate. And you know what? You're right. You should feel inadequate and that there are probably other people who are better than you, and I feel the same way. But it's a great place to be because look what happens to Joseph. Joseph says the same thing when he's asked to interpret Pharaoh's dream. Genesis chapter 41, look at this verse, you'll see it on the screen. He says, I can't do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But what? But God will. I can't, but God will. He is able. So what, what's your role? If you're saying, okay, so if if God is writing a story for Joseph's life, for all of our lives, when I what is what is my role? And it's this never stop trusting him. Never stop trusting. You know what I wonder sometimes? What would have happened if Joseph had just gone, you know what, I'm done. My family abandoned me. Frankly, it feels like God has abandoned me. She wants to sleep together. Let's just do it. He gets to prison, goes to prison, and he's like, yeah, this, this, this is terrible. And gives up on. What would have happened in the journey had Joseph given up on God? Let me make it a little more personal. What might happen if you give up on God? What will happen if you say, you have just been disappointed too many times. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I'm just not really, I'm not where I used to be anymore. Who will be impacted if your faith wavers? Let me close with a phrase that Mary and I often say to each other. We often pray. If you've been with us, you might go, yeah, I've heard you say that. When we have a heartache with someone in our own family, someone here at Grace, we just say, you know what? There are more chapters still to be written. You believe that? There are more chapters still to be written. God hasn't done yet. If you look and you've just pinpoint one part of Joseph's life, you go, that's That's terrible it is and there's more chapters still to be written in your life there are still more chapters to be written and god always has a good end to the story for those who trust him in fact as an encouragement to each other as we seek to build our faith would you say aloud with me as an affirmation of our faith in the lord these words that you see on the screen let's say this together aloud really believing it ready There are more chapters to be written. Trust the author. You are Father in heaven. We sort of say with that early follower of Jesus who goes, I I believe, but help my unbelief because it's really hard. God, I pray that you'd help us to live into our identity as sent people, to trust you more. To, to know that, to have faith that, that you're writing a story that maybe we're in a chapter right now that we go, this is, I just don't like it. Or for someone I love, I don't like it. But God, I'll, I'll believe. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold on to faith. You're not done yet. So Lord, here we are, people whose vision can be so small, our knowledge really limited, but faith in a God who can and who promises he will. And so we trust you today, and we love you, and we pray come and fill us with your spirit that indeed we will be people who have faith in your purposes. Thank you, Lord, for hearing us. In your name we pray. And all who'd agreed said, amen. Amen.